Chapter Sixteen of Donal Grant. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devorah Allen. Donal Grant by George MacDonald. Chapter Sixteen Colloquies. In the evening, Donal went to see Andrew Comyn. "'Well, how are you getting on with the Earl?' asked the cobbler. "'You set me a good example of saying nothing about him,' answered Donal, "'and I will follow it, at least till I know more. I have scarce seen him yet.' "'That's right,' returned the cobbler with satisfaction. "'I'm thinking ye'll be one of the few that can rule their own house. "'That is, hold their own tongues till the hour for speech be come. "'Stick ye to that, my dear sir, and more'll be weel nor in general as weel.' "'I'm come to ye for a bit of help, though. "'I want light upon a question that's long troubled me. "'What think ye? "'How far does the command laid upon us "'as to warfare between man and man reach? "'Are we never to raise the hand to human being, think ye?' "'Well, I have thought a heap about it, "'and I dare not say that I'm just absolute clear upon the matter. "'But there may be part clear where all's not clear, "'and by what we understand we come the nearer to what we do not understand. "'There's one thing, Uncle Plain.' "'at we're on no account to return evil for evil. "'Anybody that calls himself a Christian "'mon understand that, Muckle. "'We're to give no place to revenge, inside or out. "'Therefore we're no to give blow for blow. "'Gin a man hit ye, you're to take it in God's name. "'But whether things may not come to a point "'whereat your bone still in God's name "'to defend the life God has given ye, I cannot say. "'I had not the light to justify me in denying it. "'There mon surely, I have said to myself, "'be a time when a man may have to do what God does so often.' "'make use of the strong hand. "'But it's clear he mauna do it in rage. "'That's o'er near hate, and hates the devil's own. "'A man may, gin he live very near the Lord, "'be whiles angry unsinned. "'But the wrath a man worketh not the righteousness of God, "'and the wrath that rises in the midst of encounter "'is no like to be of the nature of divine wrath. "'To win at it, gin it be possible, "'let's consider the Lord, how he did. "'There's no word of him ever lifting hand to protect himself.' The only thing like it was for others. Tigar them let his disciples alone, maybe till they were like enough to themselves not to run, he put out Murner's hand upon them that came to take him. He struck them sair with the power itself that moves our arms. But not very sair, neither. He but knock at them down. Just to let them ken they were to do as he bade them, and let his folk be. And maybe to let them ken it, gin he let them take him. It was not that he couldna hinder them gin he liked. I cannot help thinking we may stand up for other folk. "'and I'm not saying that we are not to defend ourselves "'for a set attack with design, "'but there's something of mere importance yet "'nor ken in the right of any question. "'What can that be? "'What can be of mere importance "'nor doing right in the sight of God?' "'said Donal. "'Being right with the very thought of God, "'so that we cannot mistake "'but mon kin just what he would have done. "'That's the big right, "'the mother of all the love of the rights. "'That's to be as the maester was. "'On a gate, whatever we do, "'it mon be suckers to be done.' "'and it mun be done in the name of God. "'When we do nothing, we mun do that nothing in the name of God. "'A body may weel say, "'O oh Lord, thou hast not letting me see what I ought to do, "'so I'll do nothing. "'Gin a man ought to defend himself, but does not do it, "'cause he thinks God wouldn't have him do it. "'Will God leave him undefent for that? "'Or gin a body stands up in the name of God "'and fronts an army of enemies, "'div ye think God'll forsake him cause he's made a mistake? "'Whatever's done wantin' faith mun be sin. "'It cannot help it. 
Whatever's done in faith cannot be sin, though it may be a mistake. Only let not a man take presumption for faith. That's a fearsome mistake, for it's just the opposite. I thank you, said Donal. I'll consider with my best endeavour what you have said. But of all things, resumed the cobbler, look at ye love fair play. Fair play's a wonderful word, a grand thing constantly lost sight of. Man, I have been trying to win at the doing of the right this many a year, but I dare not yet let myself act upon the spur of the moment where my own interest's concerned. My own side might yet blind me to the other man's side of the business. Anybody can understand his own right, but it takes trouble and thought to understand what another counts his right. Two rights cannot wheel clash. It's a wrong and a right, or part wrong and a part right it clashes. Ganabody did that. I doubt there would be few fortunes made, said Donal. About that I cannot say, no kennin. I dare not discover a law where I had not knowledge. But this same fair play lies, along with love, at the very root and foundation of the universe. The theologians had a glimmer of the fact when they made so muckle of justice. Only their justice is such a miserable small bit plaster image of justice, and it must gars an honest body laugh. They seem to me like shepherds that rave down the doorposts and sign block up the door with them. Donald told him of the quarrel he had had with Lord Forgu, and asked him whether he thought he had done right. Well, answered the cobbler, I'm as far frae blaming you as I am frae justifying the young lord. He seems to me a fine kind of a lad, said Donal, though some o'er bearing. The likes of him are mere to be excused for that nor other folk, for they had great disadvantages in the position and the upbringing. It's not easy for him that's brought up a lord to believe he's just one with the lave. Donal went for a stroll through the town, and met the minister, but he took no notice of him. He was greatly annoyed at the march which he said the fellow had stolen upon him, and regarded him as one who had taken an unfair advantage of him. But he had little influence at the castle. The earl never by any chance went to church. His niece, Lady Arctura, did, however, and held the minister for an authority at things spiritual, one of whom living water was to be had without money and without price. But what she counted spiritual things were very common earthly stuff, and for the water it was but stagnant water from the ditches of a sham theology. Only what was a poor girl to do who did not know how to feed herself, but apply to one who pretended to be able to feed others? How was she to know that he could not even feed himself? Out of many a difficulty she thought he helped her, only the difficulty would presently clasp her again, and she must deal with it as she best could, until a new one made her forget it, and go to the minister, or rather to his daughter, again. She was one of those who feel the need of some help to live, some upholding that is not of themselves, but who, through the stupidity of teachers unconsciously false, men so unfit that they do not know they are unfit, direct their efforts first towards having correct notions, then to work up the feelings that belong to those notions. She was an honest girl so far as she had been taught, perhaps not so far as she might have been without having been taught. How was she to think aright with scarce a glimmer of God's truth? How was she to please God, as she called it, who thought of him in a way repulsive to every loving soul? How was she to be accepted of God, who did not accept her own neighbor, but looked down, without knowing it, upon so many of her fellow creatures? How should such a one either enjoy or recommend her religion? It would have been the worse for her if she had enjoyed it, the worse for others if she had recommended it. Religion is simply the way home to the Father. There was little of the path in her religion except the difficulty of it. The true way is difficult enough because of our unchildlikeness. Uphill, steep, and difficult. 
but there is fresh life on every surmounted height, a purer air gained, ever more life for more climbing. But the path that is not the true one is not therefore easy. Uphill is hard walking, but through a bog is worse. Those who seek God with their faces not even turned towards Him, who, instead of beholding the Father in the Son, take the stupidest opinions concerning Him and His ways from other men, what should they do but go wandering on dark mountains, spending their strength in avoiding precipices and getting out of bogs, mourning and sighing over their sins, instead of leaving them behind and fleeing to the Father, whom to know is eternal life? Did they but set themselves to find out what Christ knew and meant and commanded, and then to do it, they would soon forget their false teachers. But alas, they go on bowing before long-faced, big-worded authority, the more fatally when it is embodied in a good man who, himself a victim to faith in men, sees the Son of God only through the theories of others, and not with the sight of his own spiritual eyes. Donald had not yet seen the lady. He neither ate, sat, nor held intercourse with the family. Away from Davy, he spent his time in his tower chamber, or out of doors. All the grounds were open to him, except a walled garden on the southeastern slope, looking towards the sea, which the earl kept for himself, though he rarely walked in it. On the side of the hill, away from the town, was a large park reaching down to the river, and stretching a long way up its bank, with fine trees and glorious outlooks to the sea in one direction, and to the mountains in the other. Here Donal would often wander, now with a book, now with Davy. The boy's presence was rarely an interruption to his thoughts when he wanted to think. Sometimes he would throw himself on the grass and read aloud. Then Davy would throw himself beside him, and let the words he could not understand flow over him in a spiritual cataract. On the river was a boat, and though at first he was awkward enough in the use of the oars, he was soon able to enjoy thoroughly a row up or down the stream, especially in the twilight. He was alone with his book under a beech tree on a steep slope to the river the day after his affair with Lord Forgue. Reading aloud, he did not hear the approach of his lordship. "'Mr. Grant,' he said, "'if you will say you are sorry you threw me from my horse, I will say I am sorry I struck you.' "'I am very sorry,' said Donal, rising, "'that it was necessary to throw you from your horse. And perhaps your lordship may remember that you struck me before I did so. That has nothing to do with it.' I propose an accommodation, or compromise, or what you choose to call it. If you will do the one, I will do the other. What I think I ought to do, my lord, I do without bargaining. I am not sorry I threw you from your horse, and to say so would be to lie. Of course everybody thinks himself in the right, said his lordship with a small sneer. It does not follow that no one is ever in the right, returned Donal. Does your lordship think you were in the right, either towards me or the poor animal who could not obey you because he was in torture? "'I don't say I do. "'Then everybody does not think himself in the right. "'I take your lordship's admission as an apology. "'By no means. "'When I make an apology, I will do it. "'I will not sneak out of it.' "'He was evidently at strife with himself. "'He knew he was wrong, "'but could not yet bring himself to say so. "'It is one of the poorest of human weaknesses "'that a man should be ashamed of saying he has done wrong, "'instead of so ashamed of having done wrong, that he cannot rest till he has said so, for the shame cleaves fast until the confession removes it. Forgue walked away a step or two, and stood with his back to Donal, poking the point of his stick into the grass. All at once he turned and said, I will apologize if you will tell me one thing. 
"'I will tell you whether you apologize or not,' said Donal. "'I have never asked you to apologize.' "'Tell me, then, why you did not return either of my blows yesterday.' "'I should like to know why you ask. "'But I will answer you. "'Simply because to do so would have been to disobey my master. "'That's the sort of thing I don't understand. "'But I only wanted to know it was not cowardice. "'I could not make an apology to a coward.' "'If I were a coward, you would owe me an apology all the same, "'and he is a poor creature who will not pay his debts. "'But I hope it is not necessary I should either thrash or insult your lordship "'to convince you I fear you no more than that blackbird there.' "'Forgu gave a little laugh. "'A moment's pause followed. "'Then he held out his hand, but in a half-hesitating, almost sheepish way. "'Well, well, shake hands,' he said. "'No, my lord,' returned Donal. "'I bear your lordship not the slightest ill-will.' "'but I will shake hands with no one in a half-hearted way, "'and no other way is possible while you are uncertain "'whether I am a coward or not.' "'So saying, he threw himself again upon the grass, "'and Lord Forgue walked away, offended afresh. "'The next morning he came into the schoolroom "'where Donal sat at lessons with Davy. "'He had a book in his hand. "'Mr. Grant,' he said, "'will you help me with this passage in Xenophon?' "'With all my heart,' answered Donal and in a few moments had him out of his difficulty. But instead of going, his lordship sat down a little way off and went on with his reading, sat until master and pupil went out and left him sitting there. The next morning he came with a fresh request, and Donal found occasion to approve warmly of a translation he proposed. From that time he came almost every morning. He was no great scholar, but with the prospect of an English university before him, thought it better to read a little. The housekeeper at the castle was a good woman, and very kind to Donal, feeling perhaps that he fell to her care the more that he was by birth of her own class, for it was said in the castle, the tutor makes no pretense to being a gentleman. Whether he was the more or the less of one on that account, I leave my reader to judge according to his capability. Sometimes when his dinner was served, Mistress Brooks would herself appear, to ensure proper attention to him, and would sit down and talk to him while he ate, ready to rise and serve him if necessary. Their early days had had something in common, though she came from the southern highlands of green hills and more sheep. She gave him some rather needful information about the family, and he soon perceived that there would have been less peace in the house but for her good temper and good sense. Lady Arctura was the daughter of the last Lord Morven, and left sole heir to the property. Forgu and his brother Davy were the sons of the present earl. The present lord was the brother of the last, and had lived with him for some years before he succeeded. He was a man of peculiar and studious habits. Nobody ever seemed to take to him, and since his wife's death his health had been precarious. Though a strange man, he was a just, if not generous, master. His brother had left him guardian to Lady Arctura, and he had lived in the castle as before. His wife was a very lovely but delicate woman, and latterly all but confined to her room. Since her death, a great change had passed upon her husband. Certainly his behavior was sometimes hard to understand. "'He never gangs to the kirk, not once in a twelve-month,' said Mrs. Brooks. "'Folks would be decent, and who ever heard a decent folk it didn't gang to the kirk once in the Sabbath? I do not hold with going twice myself. You had no time to read your own chapters, can you do that? But the man's a well-behaved man, so far as you see, neither saying nor doing the thing he shouldna. What he may think, who's to say?' The more tender conscience counts itself the worst sinner, and I'm not going to think what I can ken. There's some it says he led a gay loose kind of a life afore he came to bide with the old yarl, 
"'He was with the army of foreign parts, they say. "'But about that I ken naething. "'The old yarl was something of a saint himself, rest the bones of him. "'We are not the judges of the living, any more nor of the dead. "'But I'm on a way to look after things. "'A minute's an hour loss with the fool lasses. "'You're a friend of Andrew Comins, they tell me, sir. "'I dinna ken what to do with his lass. "'She's that upsettin'. "'You would think she was one of the family whiles, "'and other whiles she's that silly.' "'I'm sorry to hear it,' said Donal. "'Her grandfather and grandmother are the best of good people. "'I dare say. "'But there's just what I ha' seen. "'Them it's brought up their own well enough. "'Their sons bear and they'll just let gang. "'Either they're tired of the thing, or they think they're safe. "'They ha' lippit till young Eppie a heap or muckle. "'But I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, "'as the minister said last Sunday, and said, "'Well, honest man, for it's the plain truth. "'He's not one of the major nor yet the minor ones.' "'But hold him out of the pulpit, and he does not that ill. "'His daughter's not an ill lass, either, and a great friend of my lady's. "'But I'm clean ashamed of myself to gang on this gate. "'Ha' you done with your dinner, Mr. Grant? "'Well, I'll just send a clear away and let you till your lessons.'" End of chapter 16